This is So What Does Judaism Say About? All kinds of topics discussed here about Judaism. I'm Rabbi Rick Fox. With me, as always, is the very uh, attractive Rabbi Mayor Beer. <laughs> Rabbi Beer, how are you doing? I'm feeling very attractive. <laughs> I couldn't find a synonym for love. And that's a can. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Attraction and love are not necessarily the same things, but but I'll take attractive. You know what? I say like this. We have to make God attractive to us. Do you know what I mean? God says, love me, but not in a Donald Trump horrible, love me, love me. God is not like that. I'm right in. I went right in, Mayor. I'm in. All right. Is God <laughs> telling us to love him from a desperate place that he needs my love? You know, like Donald Trump. Thank you to all my constituents. I love you. You love me. Is that right? But people think God thinks like that, by the way. I don't think Donald Trump does too well with rejection. <laughs> but this guy, so, God, but I think we can we can draw some clear distinctions with that. I'm asking now, right? We're, we're talking about love. We're going to go. We're going to continue the love series here. We're in the middle of the after. What what is this love that God seeks? Does God need my love? All right. These are all yes or no. Don't give me the run around. No. <laughs> right. But, but he wants it. But he wants it. <laughs> That's an amazing thing. There's, there is a difference between need and want. Okay, so so I think we have to we have to really unpack that. Yeah, we we need to get into our responsibilities, and then from what our responsibilities are um, as Jews, as incorporating this love into our lives. We mentioned before, kind of the situations of love, the the construct of love. But let's get into a more practical discussion on how we're supposed to integrate this love into ourselves, and then hopefully we'll get back to this question of how does that kind of Go back up. Yeah, and then I'm, then I'm thinking about my role as a father, which is you know basically I you know that's a that's a godly type of relationship. It's I you know, create your children, and you want them to love you, and you love them. But then it gets a little bit weird if you need your children's love. You know what I mean? It gets a little funny. It gets a little funky in there. So I'm just trying to draw a parallel here as this relates to my personal life. But back to you. Yeah. So let's let's keep delving in the Shema. We'll move on to the next verse in the in the paragraph. The Torah says um, that you should love God. That I commanded you today on your heart. So there's a couple of interesting points. The Not that you should love God. There's a personal message. I've commanded you today. It's the I've commanded and the today. So number one, let's focus on the today. Rashi this commentary on the Chumash says that the commandment should be something fresh and new to you. It should not be a stale, old, you know, kind of stuffy tradition. It should be something vital and active and I love relevant. That. I love that. Not an old stuffy tradition because that's that's how it felt over there, Rabbi Beer. Not just when I was stuck on top of the uh, of the climbing wall, but also when I when I went to uh, synagogue as a child to the temple. It was called. You know, it had a musk, like it wasn't used very often. And then it had like a, you know, everything felt very stuffy, very tradition-based without knowing what's going on. And it, it, it was a, it's a turnoff, you know what I mean? And it's, it's scary because where do you go from here? Now, I mean, I found myself later, but, you know. Yeah, so, so let's, let's get into these two components. And these two words are really going to get to the same point. So, these words that I commanded you, the I commanded you. So one needs to recognize that there is a personal connection between each individual and God. 
that the commandment to you is not some abstract kind of written on a stone that was discovered by archaeologists that is somehow relevant to us, but there's this very personal connection between each individual and God. And the answer, what we mean to God, is as an individual important relationship. We're not just some, you know, okay, we're the, you know, 8,607,341st Jew who does good things or does bad things. We each individually have a relationship with God, which is very fundamental for a person recognizing that this is a relationship which is well worth the effort of building because it is a personal and individual and unique relationship. Now, the mitzvah um, chayom I've commanded you today. There's a story uh, that Rav Shimon Schwab uh, writes in his commentary on the Siddur. Rav Shimon Schwab was an immigrant from Germany, pre-war Germany. Correct, whose first job was in Baltimore and then became a rabbi in Washington Heights in uh, Upper Manhattan. Baltimore also is a very, very German city. Yeah, yeah. Though a lot of German uh, refugees went to Baltimore. Uh, so he relates a story. He met a fellow uh, who had been was what we call a traditional Jew, who had been very imp- who was very impressed um, right after the coronation of, of Queen Elizabeth. This is in the in the early fifties, right, nineteen fifty three, I think. Our resident historian, thank you. <laughs> Always good to get the accurate numbers, and you know, there's all this pageantry and these traditions that you know the English royalty has. And this visitor, this traditional visitor, was very impressed with this and was drawing a parallel and telling Rav Schwab how he also maintains the ancient Jewish traditions. So Rav Schwab said that he told him, he said, um, and and this visitor says, I I am such a traditional Jew, I even put on that tradition of tefillin every day. So Rav Schwab said, tradition leaves me cold. That was his response. That's what Rav Schwab told him. Yeah. Tradition leaves me cold. (laughs) And he said, you know, if my father wore wool stockings, does that mean I'm not allowed to wear cotton socks? Like, okay, if I like dressing like a, I'm, I'm a 1700s colonial, you know, revolutionary war person because I like period dress, then fine. But like, what's wrong with wearing t-shirts and jeans? Like, I don't know. Like, let me wear what I want. Like, the point being is that if you recognize this is not some old stuffy tradition, which because I have a mild obsession with history, I do. But this is an active relationship that I personally have with God, which is fresh and new and current that changes everything about it. Right. It's not it's not very compelling to do something simply because simply because it was done. Right. But it's if not it's compelling. If it's me, personal, relevant, changes everything. Right. So this is in the words of the Shema. The love you have for Hashem, once again as we mentioned in the last episode, is something which requires work and we need to think about God, we need to philosophize, we need to meditate, you know, we need we need to use our intellectual abilities, but if, at the end of the day it's a relationship. If it's a personal relationship, written clearly in the words of the Shema, I, God, am commanding you today, relevant, current, new, it changes everything. That relationship is something important to God and should be important to me as well. And that's a nice word, important to, because we, we opened up by saying, does God need your love? But important to, I think, is, is, is a very powerful phrase. And you're going back to the children. It's important for children to love their parents and hopefully the parents have that in a in a healthy way because you're again you're building the it's about the child. So in our relationship for, with God, we're the children. It's important because it's important for us. And I want to take what you just said a little further. We are the children, but we're also the parents because we have a responsibility mm. to train and to teach and to educate our children. Well, it's only going to be as as good as we understand it, and they're only going to be as motivated as we for are sh- for sure. 
And maybe the second more than the first, because our children may be smarter and more educated than us, but our motivation and our devotion and, and emotional connection can be universal, even if our children have IQs 30 points higher than us. Or 30 points lower. Or 30 points lower, exactly. So the next verse of the Shema touches on this. It says, Vishinantam levanacha vidibartabam. Vishinantam is one of those words that's very difficult to translate. Um, the Medrash, the the um, the Safri writes that the Vishinantam is that you should teach sharply. Like a mm. chain is a tooth, it's a sharp object. Um, and, and this idea of you having a, a strong, passionate, sharp connection that is conveyed to your children is a reflection of your own relationship with God. So Vishinantam Levanecha, basic translation is you should teach them to your children. But it's not the classic word for teaching. Right, maratam or something, right. So it's Vishinantam, you're saying, the Sifri is saying, teach sharply, with like, right. like, like a tooth. Exactly. So so the Talmud says that the words of the Torah should be misudar picha. they should be organized in your mouth. And if someone asks you a question, you can answer it. Or, you know, not everybody's a great scholar, but a willingness and, you know, sometimes saying you don't know shows that you're really passionate about it. You're not one of those like irrelevant question, move on. Right. But, oh, I don't know the answer. Let, let's go find out. Right. That kind of, you know, energy to know more, to discover more, the passion. Well, vishinantam is a beautiful word because it also means shnia, which means to repeat something. Like the achad shnayim, right? For those Hebrew speakers out there, the ulpan, achad one, shnayim two. Right, a year is called a shana because it's it repeats something is is yashan. It's old because it's repetitive. So here, vishinantam also implies over and over again from a place of motivation. So your point, if you're not intelligent or you don't have that sort of whiz kid, you know, what is it called? The smart as a whip, you know, smart cookie stuff. It could be sharp, but I'm seeing also it could be learning that is repetitive in a good way, meaning you're putting time into it over you're and over again, constantly finding new highly insights. motivated. You know, right. how many how many days a year are you putting on tefillin? I mean, except for Shabbos and and uh, and holidays, how many? Right. I'm asking, three hundred and four, something like that. Something like that. Let's you know. You so three hundred times a year, you gotta be fresh about it, right? And your kids have to see was fresh about it, and that commitment that 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 like, I'm locked into finding new depth, new meaning, is how you can keep doing it. Yeah, exactly. Because tradition find I I find tradition cold. Was the line? Yeah, I like that line. <laughs> it leaves me feeling cold. It, it leaves me feeling cold. And it's hilarious because the German Jewry, which he was the head of in America, 1,800 people in his synagogue, were probably from the outside the most traditionalist, you know, pomp and circumstance type of synagogue. And for him to say that right. is like doubly hilarious. Well, some people need a little, you know, rigidity in their right. culture. That's right. just the way they are. But right. at the same time, the, 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 the core could still be fiery, could still be energized. <laughs> Unbelievable. Did you ever meet Reb Schwab? No. Because you're a German Jew. My father met him quite a few times. But you're, you're German. Yeah. yeah. My father grew up in the synagogue. Yeah. <laughs> Your father grew up at, at his synagogue? Yeah. Okay, we have to get him on the, we have to get him on the show. We, we can do that. These might be some very long episodes if you start doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for it, though. The, the, the um, Safri gives us another connection to this Vishnantam Levanacha, this sharp teaching, strong teaching. It quotes a verse in Mishle in Proverbs. It says, biyat gibor, hanurim. The like the arrows in the hands of the of the mighty, so are the, the children of youth. And the, the idea what this means is, is that a chetz is an arrow. An arrow is designed to go far. An arrow shot by a strong archer goes really far. 
So Ravon Cutler uh, explains that the you know the more passionate a teacher is, the more committed, the more devoted that the teacher is to his craft, the farther the arrows go. And if the goal ultimately is perpetuating Judaism, is being a good educator, not just because kids are acing the tests and are memorizing you know whatever you know information gave them, but it slips out of their head six months later or ten minutes later, but you're creating a system that you can see the results of far away, that's from a gibo, that's from a strong person. And only when we're strong does the Judaism continue. That's beautiful. So this is kind of a responsibility on us and recognizing that our relationship is meaningful in ways that are a little scary because it's not just a personal relationship, but it's actually a responsibility we have in the continuity of Judaism. I want, I want, it's an interesting analogy that's popping into my head as I'm thinking about parents and children and Vishnantam and teaching over You'll see, you know, as families emigrate to America, and our families all came over at different times. Mine came over in the 1860s. I don't know when yours came over. So I'm fifth or sixth generation, however it works. And every generation, you can tell, is always trying to improve the socioeconomic status of their family. That's very, it seems to be very obvious. You'll meet, you know, we'll meet on campus, you know, a more immigrant family, very hardworking, whatever it is, but eventually, You'll see over the over the generations that someone that's been doing this for a long time in America and became affluent, there does seems to be there seems to be a sort like, like things become become lax or, and they could almost become you know uh, keeping up like you said tradition for tradition's sake we're going to get jobs become wealthy because that's what you do you get jobs become wealthy what I see here is it's almost like we got the message backwards Vishnantam Levanecha teaching our children what we're modeling and what our motivation is is every parent really should want their kid to excel in life, life much more than them, learn more than them, grow more than them, and hope that their kids become more connected to God than they were. That's what I would want. You know, that's what I would want. Just a general all-around better person. Yeah, but I, that hit me hard. As you're saying in the hands of the, in the hands of the, of the, of the, of the, of the strong person is the, is the, uh, the error and the, however you said it, you know, the youth. The, the arrow goes further. Yeah, the arrow right. goes further. You know, I think that that arrow is very clear when we're talking about jobs and this and that, but it becomes so much important. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't want you to be any more connected to Judaism than we were. We do it like this. And it's like, what does that we mean? Were, we had a baseline level of mediocrity. You're stuck there. Don't go past it. Don't go past it. Don't go under it or past but it. You're, but mom and dad, you're modeling for me that I have to, yes, go past it in, 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 in my job and this and that. Why? Exactly. Especially for the kids who are wealthy. Why do I got to do what, what do I need it for? And, and also as like a, a counterpoint, like if I can't go past it, why can't I go under it? Like, why do I have to toe the line exactly the way ah, you did it? Beautiful. I never, I, I wasn't thinking about that. If you're passionate, let me excel. Where, where do we like stop somewhere frozen? In the I middle? will go be poor. <laughs> Spiritually. Yes. But yeah. So moving on in this, in these points. But that you do see that by the way, with the, with the sort of the very esoteric wealthy families that the kids sort of go backpacking and disappear for years and decades and want to grow their hair long and be trashy. Right. Interesting. There was a, uh, a term used by the English press called a trustafarians. Yes. Trustafarian. That's great. So Judaism, we're not looking for that. Yeah, hopefully not. Wow. I mean, we should all want more for our kids than we have for ourselves. But you also need to have want more for yourself. That's, that's the deeper point. Right. Exactly. That's the deeper right. point. When you want the most, you want the most for your kids also. Right. So moving along, the, the Rashi says in the Vishinantam of Anacha, that Elohatomitim, these are the students. So the transmission isn't necessarily just biological. You teach your kids, but you have you have students. Students doesn't have to mean any formal educational system, but we're all influential in our community, people around us, to whatever extent that is. So we're Vishinantam 
to students. And students don't to be people younger than you. It could be people who are our age or older, but we're all teaching each other. So Ramosha Feinstein says, so that being the case, why is the terminology of to your children used? And he says something really important. I think this is a you know a super a super important insight into education. Now, once again, if your educational system says all we want to do is have kids memorize random things, that's our entire goal, we don't have a broader vision in education, then don't listen to this. But I don't think that's what most educators look at it. So he says that if you want to be the most effective teacher, you have to view yourself as being a parent. To what extent? Parents pass along character traits to their children. Your children have personalities that are similar to you. It's genetics. A teacher should be so passionate and so enthralled with what he's teaching that his students or her students start picking up sort of some of those idiosyncrasies. If you are simply teaching specific information, memorize this formula, and that's the entirety of my job, your students are not going to be very integrated into you. But if you have a vision and you're passionate as a teacher, your students, obviously not as much as biological children, will in a sense be like your children. They'll start picking up some of your passion, some of your idiosyncrasies. And that is the model we're looking for in teachers. That's the model we're looking for in the transmission of Judaism. Your passion is infectious. And therefore, your students, to some extent, become as if they're your children. Now, this is not a creepy thing at all. This is a very beautiful idea. It doesn't mean they're, they're your robots that like kind of look exactly like you, but it's more than just the information. Some of the passion, some of the fire, some of the, you know, there's a Yiddish word, bren. Like when you teach, you teach with a bren. Literally means a fire, but it also means that you teach with energy. There's, there's something burning inside you. That's visible in the students. Right. They're fired up about what you're teaching. And just like all of your kids typically will be different, your students will be different also. You know, Think about the altar of Slobodka and the yeshiva built in Slobodka and, uh, and they all went out to America and Israel and started things. How They're all so different. So different, you know? Yeah. This is... Uh, oh, you so know. you do know. <laughs> There's a line, the altar of Slobodka taught, said to one of his students who became an educator in his own right, he said, you're making a bunch of Cossacks. Like This is a, you know, kind of a, this military group in Eastern Europe. And in the military, everybody looks the same. Like, why are your students like Cossacks? Why do they all look the same? They should all be in, it's different and individuals. You're, you're not doing your educational, you're not fulfilling your educational responsibilities if all your students look the same. Right. right. So yes, they should have the passion, but it shouldn't be this creepy thing where they're all walking out like they, look, they came out of like a, a factory. They should have the passion, but expressing it from their own perspective. So I'll end off with one idea on the Shema. Just kind of a broader, nice takeaway. This is a fifth episode I think we're doing on the Shema. Um, the, this is a, a, an insight from Rav Breuer, who was the rabbi in, in the Washington Heights community before Rav Schwab. Oh. So he, the, um, the Torah writes that when Yaakov um, met Yosef for the first time, Yaakov has a son, Yosef, who gets sold into slavery. He doesn't see him for years and years. 22 years after his son is sold, he meets up with him. And what is his reaction? Um, he, they fall on each other's necks, and he cries on his neck. Rashi quotes the, um, the Medrash uh, from the detail of, of, the, of, the, uh, of the grammar of the, of the Torah that Yaakov 
that this falling on the neck and crying is Yosef. Yaakov did not fall on Yosef's neck. What does he do at that moment? He recites the Shema. Very odd thing to do. He hasn't seen his son in 22 years. His son is on his shoulder crying. Yaakov quickly says the Shema. What does that mean? Sounds cold. So Rabbi says it means the following. Yaakov had a miserable time when his son is gone. And he's connecting to God from a place of pain, from a place of bereavement. He's mourning the loss of his son. And his life doesn't seem as valuable as it could be because of the pain that he's in. So he's connecting through the pain to God. Everything, all the pain disappears. He meets his son. His son is second in command in Egypt. His son has succeeded wildly beyond his imagination. And it's almost like all of that pain just morphed into happiness and success. And he's greeted in Egypt with pomp and honor and ceremony. And at that moment, he says, God, I can connect to you with the happiness. I'm now in a new point in life. I can connect. I connected with you through the pain and the suffering, but I want to make sure this new part of my life, I didn't forget about you either. The success, the wealth, the happiness that I have now, I'm remembering you also. So kind of the vision of the totality of the good Jew and what we're trying to transmit, we're trying to put into ourselves so we're effective transmitters, is to be connected at all times. Yes, in times of difficulty, yes, in times of sadness, but when we can convert the success into a way that we're connected to God, that connection will be so complete that our children will get these sharp teachings that will allow them to go as far in their misery, but hopefully much more in their success, and take the Judaism and make it something which is ultimately make them happier and better human beings in all aspects of their life. Fantastic. Thank you.